This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. There's been a, uh, a series that's been brewing in my heart really since, well, it's been for a while, but really since the summer. And so now that I've got three weeks in a row, I'm actually going to do it starting today, if that's okay with you guys. Um, we good? All right. How many have ever heard of the word ethos? Okay, you Greek scholars out there, you, you special people. You're awesome. Um, well, we're going to talk about ethos for the next three weeks, and, and uh, probably in a way that maybe you, you're not going to think of, we're going to talk a little bit about um, not only the ethos of our church, but really what we're trying to accomplish through um, the things that God has in our church. I want to I just start by saying culture has changed significantly in the last 60 years. Would you not agree? Right. I think if our grandparents knew, or our great-grandparents knew, what's going on in the world today, and if we were to paint them a picture that the two people that the uh, United States of America could come up with for their election in 2016 was Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, they'd be turning over in their graves. I think if, if they told you Uh, about what life was like back in the 40s and the 50s, it would be very different than what is taking place today. Would you not agree? I'm going to give you a couple scenarios. Listen to this for a second. Okay, ready? Scenario number one. Are you ready? Okay. Jack goes quail hunting before school, pulls into school into the school parking lot with a shotgun in his in his gun rack. This actually happened in the 1950s quite often. Okay, are we ready? Today, this is what would happen. The school goes into lockdown. The police are called. Jack is hauled off to jail, never sees his truck or gun again. Counselors are called in for traumatized students and teachers. Okay, that was a little heavy, so I'm going to go with a little bit easier one. Are you ready for this? Scenario number two, one we can all relate to, because I know we were probably involved in the same scenario many times in our life. Of course, we're never going to admit it, but we were. Johnny and Mark get into a fist fight after school. Come on now. You know what I'm saying? Okay. All right. The crowd gathers. Mark wins. Poor Johnny. Johnny and Mark shake hands and end up being best buddies. Come on now. Okay. What happens today? The police are called. The SWAT team arrives, arrest Johnny and Mark, charge them with assault. Both expelled, even though Johnny started it. Do you know what I'm saying? Culture has changed. Back in the day, you could ride on the back of your pickup truck without an issue. Why? Because no one cared. And if you fell out and broke your leg, guess who was responsible? You. Now, you go through the whole list of insurance policies, and you go through all this other stuff, and by the end of it, you're so exhausted dealing with all the paperwork and the policies and the legalities of all these issues that, honestly, you just you don't even want to fight anything because you couldn't care. It's ridiculous. Things have changed. In the Bible, this word that describes culture is this word ethos. It literally means this. It's Strong's uh, number, literally 1485. For those that are really into your Greek, you can look it up. It literally means the nature, disposition, or customs of a group of people. Webster's Dictionary defines it this way. It says, the distinguishing character, moral nature, or guiding beliefs of a person, group, or institution. Are we tracking? We're good? So, if I can say it like this, every single person in this room right now, every single person on the planet has an ethos. Every family 
represented in this room and on the planet has an ethos. It's something that's distinct about who you are and about your family. How many have ever visited some other family and saw some customs or some traditions that you thought were strange? How many pointed it out? Okay, just put, okay, that's good. But I have news for you this morning. Every church has an ethos. And I'm not talking about the what we believe statements or what we practice statements. I'm talking about an innate culture that is inbred and is literally the DNA of every church. How many know that every church has a DNA? Every church has a flavor, if we can call it like that. Amen? And so it is imperative that every church forms an ethos that is based upon biblical principles and biblical values. Would you not agree? Because if we don't, and we're not intentional about it, then the culture or the world's culture, the world's influence, will literally creep in and start to bring mixture and start to change things, not overnight, but subtly over time. So sometimes you get months down the road, years down the road, and you realize something has significantly changed. We're not doing something according to an ethos that God would be proud of. But we find a course, or we find a pathway that makes sense because we fit in with what's going on in the world. But it doesn't make sense scripturally. How many know the Bible and our culture today don't mesh? How many have ever read a verse in the Bible and you choke on it, trip over it, fall over it, and don't know what to do with it at the end? Right. Yeah, we do. Romans 12, 2, it says this in the NLT. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. The Message Bible says it like this. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture, to your ethos, that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it, unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. Donald Trump. God brings the best out of you develops well-informed maturity in you. Sorry, this is subliminal messages through the message. Okay, it's all good. Just listen to the voice of God. It comes in many different forms. It's all good. It's all good. So over the next three weeks, we're literally going to talk about three significant uh, issues of ethos that helps to frame our church. It helps to kind of... Um, process us through certain things. It helps us to view certain things a certain way. It helps our perspective. And if anything, it's bedrock beliefs that we stand on because we know how key they are. Are you ready for the first one? All right, all three of you. Are you ready for the first one? Okay, there's we go. We go, we go. Ready? First bedrock belief, our first ethos as a church is this. We believe in character before charisma. Can I say it in another way? Character before gifting. That Greek word charisma is literally translated into the English gifting or gift. And so we believe in character before charisma. Isaiah chapter 49 verse 2, and it says this, He has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he has hidden me and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver he has hidden me. It's interesting in the, in the original uh, Hebrew here, the word polished literally means refined. means refined. How many have ever gone through moments or tests or struggles in your life where you feel like God's got you in his refiner's fire? Come on now. All three of you, that's awesome. 
How many are in it right now? Don't put up your hand. Come on, don't put up your hand. How many know that we don't like refinement when we're in the midst of it? Right? We want to be on the beach in Hawaii, sipping lemonade, just looking at the beauty of what God did with His creation. That's what we want. Right? I want to use as an example this morning, for those that are in the Discovery Seminar, just act like you've never heard this before. Um, I want to use an example of an arrow. So we've got a picture of an arrow up here. The arrowhead or the, the, the point on the end literally represents your gifting. The shaft of that uh, arrow literally represents your character. How many know that it's important to sharpen your gifts? Right? But if we spend all of our time sharpening our gift, but the shaft is never straight, and we let go and we release that bow and arrow, and that arrow is shot out from that bow with, uh, with fierceness and with, and with intentionality, but the shaft is broken or is curved or is not straight, guess what? You're going to miss the mark every single time. It doesn't matter how sharp your gifting is. Doesn't matter how fine a tomb you've got that right down to this perfect, sharp gift so that every time I hit the bullseye, it's going to go straight through. Interestingly enough, the word for sin in the Bible literally means to miss the mark. So without the character of God, we're going to miss the mark. We're going to sin. Because our gifting can take us places, unfortunately, that our character can't keep us. And then what happens? What happens when our gift has taken us somewhere, but our character doesn't line up? Usually it's failure. It's usually failure. And if it's not failure right away, it's usually failure by the end. When we come to Christ, there's this, uh, there's this word that is used in the Christian circles. It has been for years and years and years. And it's a biblical word. It's called discipleship. Discipleship literally means to be a carbon copy of the one you are following. So that's why we should be a carbon copy of Christ. We should look like Christ. We should act like Christ. We should think like Christ. We should talk like Christ. That's the whole purpose of discipleship. But how many know that part of your maturity or part of your growing in your discipleship also involves the work of the minister? In other words, what you do, right? Think about this. This is where the ethos in a lot of church cultures goes off. Because the world says that the most important thing or the value that you should be placing on something that's higher than everything else is the value in what you do. Get better at what you do. Refine what you do. Work on what you do. Take another course to get better at what you do. So we really become very good at being a human doing, but we're not very good at being a human being. So what do we do? We have to focus on Christ and our relationship with Christ because when we become more like him, our character lines itself up with a biblical narrative so that the story that is told about our life is a story of character and integrity that draws people to Christ and not to you. Without the character of God in your life, then everyone will be drawn to your gift but not to Christ. So you get in the way. So when people look to Christ, they actually see you in the way. Then what do we do? Something's off there. Something has to be adjusted. How many love getting an adjustment? How many have ever been to a chiropractor and like getting an adjustment? Come on now, right? Maturity in Christ has so much to do with who we are in him, not just what we do for him.
what we do for him should come out of a love relationship with him. I can honestly say that I've pastored and obviously been in the people business for a long time. Before pastoring, I was involved in social work. And, you know, there's so many things that I've seen when it comes to the people business that has been eye-opening throughout the last number of years. And I would say the one thing that I keep landing on is that it's much easier for people to focus on, on, on sharpening their gifts First and foremost, because usually their gift is what they enjoy, right? So something you enjoy, you're going to give passion to it. You're going to give intentionality to it. And that's good. I don't have any problem whatsoever with sharpening your gifts. But we as a church have declared, and we've declared it from day one, we value character over gifting. Somebody say, go ahead. Come on now. Come on, go ahead. Okay, here we go. All right, all right, all right, here we go. (laughs) You always develop what you're good at because you want to get better. Nothing wrong with that. But how many know that character development takes a lot longer and is more difficult? Right? But we want things now. God wants things his way. (laughs) Right? Amen. And I can honestly say from my uh, my own life, that I have professionally, when I was in my early 20s and God was getting a hold of my life, I was 22 and I had an incredible divine encounter with God that literally transformed my life. But for the next year or so, year and a half, I was convinced that I was ready for whatever call God had for me. I was ready. Like, God, just release me. God, just release me to the nations. God, just send me to the nations and give me a megaphone that every country will hear. Lord, because I got the goods. And then God said, "Um, I'm going to hide you for a season so that no one sees you. (laughs) And I remember thinking to myself, get behind me, Satan. You know what I'm saying? Because I thought that was the work of Satan. God, why in the world would you want to hold me back? I've got all this excitement. I'm passionate. I got these ideas. I got this, I got vision. I got all this stuff. And God just said, whoa down. Just let me hide you for a season. What was God doing? Well, he wanted to develop character, but why did he want to develop character? Because he realizes it was the character of Christ in me that would give my gift credibility. Because without it, the enemy loves to play on people's weaknesses and insecurities. And I'm so thankful, even though for the first year I did it kicking and screaming, I'm so thankful that God got a hold of my life enough that I said yes to the process. How many know as believers, we don't like process, we like answers. But God works in this weird thing called process. It's called discipleship. Line upon line, precept upon precept, One thing upon the next thing, building a strong foundation. How many know that when we think that way, things don't grow too fast, but they grow healthy. They grow strong. They grow secure. Amen? It's our relationship with God that determines our character, and it's our character that sustains that relationship. Amen? The one thing I can honestly say, from the time I was 22, I had this encounter with God, and the one thing that became very apparent to me is I fell in love with the gifts of the Spirit. 
Holy Spirit came on my life, and things started coming out of me that I had never seen before. And when you start seeing things come out of you, you don't want to put a lid on it. Do you know what I'm saying? Unfortunately, I prophesied too many times with people and hurt too many people because I was black and white, and I was truthful. You know what I'm saying? How many of you have ever seen that, where you're black and white, and you can kind of, you know, make an excuse for it? But at the end of the day, God wanted to teach me how to prophesy with a shepherd's heart. Because if you don't prophesy with a shepherd's heart, people are going to get hurt. If you have a word of knowledge, but you don't have the heart of Christ, you're going to hurt people. Right? Amen? So when I started having this experience with Christ, I was all about the gifts. I was all about the gifts of the Spirit. And I realized that the gifts of the Spirit, in essence, showed my ministry potential. But it was the fruit of the Spirit that showed my maturity. Amen? And there's far too many people that love the gifts of the Spirit but don't love the fruit. Right? But we need to love the fruit of the Spirit. There's a great book called The Holy Spirit in You by Rita and Dennis Bennett. And they have this incredible quote. It says this, Don't follow a person just because he has a gift ministry. Instead, look for fruit in his life, for honesty and purity brought about by the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, and a hunger for an appreciation of God's Word. Remember, Christians don't follow signs Signs follow Christians. Amen? Do you believe that today? Amen. I'm excited because I know when you submit to a process and you say yes to God, God just does an incredibly deep work. But if there's one thing I'd encourage you with this morning, because I know how many times I was tempted, don't cut that process short. Don't look for a way out of the, of the dealings of God. Because he loves you and he sees the potential in your life. This is why we as a church, you know, we're going to teach certain things or we're going to process through certain things that aren't necessarily the warm and fuzzies of the world, but we're going to do it because we believe that God has got you on a journey towards something so unstoppable, so unshakable, so incredible that even if God were to tell you right now, you'd run in the opposite direction because you would be too scared to go there. But God is calling you to be unshakable in the midst of circumstances that are against the very heart and purpose of God, to stand up for truth, to not give in, but to keep going forward with, with your heart uh, intentionally focused on him. John 15, verse 16, I love this. It says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that it should remain, that whoever or that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. Remember, if I can just take a little side thing. Remember the arrow analogy? The arrowhead being the gifting We can sharpen that. That's great. But that shaft is the character. That's the thing that needs to be straight. It needs to be strong. I'm just going to read Isaiah 49 again. And I'm going to to go one extra verse to verse 3. And I want to show you something about the process of God and how he refines you. Uh, Isaiah 49, verses 1 to 2. It says, The Lord has called me, say called me, from the womb, from the matrix of my mother, he has made mention of my name. And he has made my mouth like a sharp sword in the shadow of his hand, And he has hidden me, say hidden me, and made me a polished shaft, say a polished shaft. In his quiver he has hidden me. Now verse 3 in the NIV it says, and he said to me, you are my servant Israel in whom I will display my splendor. Say display my splendor. So I want you to see here there's four key things, four key ideas that God actually brings out regarding this, this life for this scripture, this analogy is an, is an arrow. But for you, this is talking about your life. What's the first thing that he does? Number one, he calls you. 
And what does he do when he calls you? He just doesn't call you. He calls you by name. And your response to him is a response out of identity in Christ. The very first thing that God will do is he's going to take this process of of discipleship and of refining, and he's going to say, listen, the first and most important thing that you can get for the rest of your life is not how gifted you are, is not how many prophetic words have come out over your life about you should be doing this or you should be doing that. The most impressive and the most powerful thing that you can do is get so lost in Christ that when people look at you, the only thing they see is him. It's about identity. It's about identity. That second section there in verse 2, it says, and in the shadow of his hand, he has hidden me. He's hidden me. How many have ever gone out in the spring and they take those wonderful little seeds of some plant or maybe, you know, a flower or something, and you plant it in the ground, and then you pull a whole bunch of dirt and nutrients and all this stuff over top of it, and you pound it down, then you water it. How many know that the moment that that identity of that seed came out, the first thing God does right after you're identified with him is he says, okay, are you ready? Yeah, I'm going to bury you. Waters it. How many know that it takes a season between the planting and the seeing? Because he wants to see, are you willing to be planted in the house of the Lord so that you can flourish? Can you be planted in his process so that you can flourish? Can you be planted in what God's doing? Not abort it, not run away from it, but be planted in it so that God can do a deep work in you. Not a quick work, because his deep work is never quick. But to do a deep work in you so that the, that, that fruit that comes above the ground at some point is so powerful, is so beautiful, is so mind-blowingly amazing that everyone stops as they walk by and say, what in the world did you do with your front garden? It's Jesus. That's my Jesus plant over there. And my Jesus flowers. And my Jesus hostas. Come on now. You know what I'm saying? It's Jesus. But he has to hide you. Hiding is very hard because you know what? When he pounds that dirt down on top of you and he, and he waters you down and you get waterlogged with what he's doing, how many know it's very hard to break out on your own? You have to let time and the process happen. Because if not, then guess what happens? If you... Go ahead of the timing of God. That fruit will never come to the degree that it should have come. That flower will never ripen the way it should have ripened. That, that plant will never come the way it was designed to come. So we have to take this moment and say, God, am I going to be okay if you plant me in the ground and I don't move? And I just put up with what you're doing. But actually one step further and embrace it. Could you imagine for a second if we planted a, a wonderful tree, wonderful plant, and it, and it grew up. Maybe we got it up to about here. And then we said, you know, God, I don't like this soil over here. So I'm going to yank it out and I'm going to take it and put it over here because this looks nicer over here. And then about two months in, you don't like that either because it's a little sunnier, a little hotter. And I, Ooh, I don't like that. So we're going to yank that out of there and put it over here because this looks like it's better. How many know the natural disposition of every human is to look for something easier? Right? Come on, let's be honest. I, I'm always looking for easy, except with hockey, and I still don't understand that. I don't understand that. But it's getting better. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jesus. It's awesome. But he hides you so that he can do his work 
on you. The other thing is this, is when you're not seen, you're also not tempted to do something outside of the will of God. When God hides you, there's no temptation to have your worldwide ministry with the megaphone. It's not there. I remember someone, literally, I, I know I've shared this story a long time ago, but there's a lot of new people, so I'm just going to embarrass myself and tell you one of the most embarrassing moments of my Christian life. Are you ready for this? So I was at this church. They announced from the pulpit that we're going to be hiring a youth pastor. And as he said it, my chest hair started to vibrate. I got a little taller in that moment. Got a little bit more proud. I got a little bit more like, finally, God, you have listened to my cries. It has been too many years, Lord, but it's finally happened. Finally, they're going to recognize how anointed I am. And he's looking down going, no, how annoying you are. How anointed I am, Lord Jesus. So I was so stupid and so bold, I wrote the pastor a letter. It's embarrassing. I'm saying it, but it's embarrassing. I wrote him a three-page, single-space letter talking about the call of God on my life, and you would be nuts not to hire me. Didn't quite use those words, but that was pretty much the inference. So he calls me in for a meeting. I'm like, okay, here we go. Lord, just lay the crown upon my head. So I walk in, you know, chit-chatted for the first five minutes, and then he just stopped and said, I've got to be honest with you. I went, yeah, 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 be honest, man, bring it on, bring it on. He says, yeah, I do feel like there's a great opportunity for you to, to help us and to step out into something new, um, but it's not youth pastoring. I went, oh, okay, what do you need? We need you to help with the kids' class with puppets. Take this cup from me, Lord. And honestly, I felt like all of heaven looked down and went, you're still in the ground. It's not your time. I promote. You don't. I learned a lot of hard lessons that day. I went home depressed, discouraged. I felt like giving up. I felt like my whole walk with God had just ended. And then God just said, is your hope in ministry or is your hope in me? Is your identity in your gifting or is your identity in the character that you're trying to become like in me? Where's your identity? So go back to step one. You're called by name. You have an identity with me. Don't lose that because if you lose that and you get to the hidden part, then you're going to be very frustrated and you're going to want to give up. So you're called. Then you're hidden. Then you're polished. Hebrew word, refined. Refiner's fire, my heart's one desire is to be holy. Until the moment he puts a test in your way and you go, um, I don't like holy. <laughs> I, don't, I like it over here. Holy sucks, God, I don't like it. Come on. Seriously. And then God says, 
come closer. And then we start singing songs on a Sunday morning. I'm coming closer. And you're going, shut up. (laughs) But on the outside, you're looking all religious so that people think you're godly. You know how it is. How you doing, brother? Oh, bless God. My life's awesome. (laughs) And you go home and it's like, God, you suck. Do you know what I'm saying? Come on. Come on, don't be all religious on me thinking you can't say that about God. Come on, but that's what we do. That's what we do. We go home when no one sees us. Although some people see it when you post it on Facebook. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Woo-hoo. Okay, focus. And once you've been polished, then he displays his splendor in you. Out of the ground, and it blossoms. How many know that sometimes our blossoming moment happens a little bit later in our timeline than what we would have liked? Right? I was ready to plant the church in Kingston when I was 22. Do you know what I'm saying? It took 11 years. 11 more years of God saying, It's not time. It's not time. But God, Kingston, needs me. No, he needs me. (laughs) And you go, ah, back to step one. I'm called. I have an identity in Christ. Step two, he's buried me 69 feet underground. Not like the other people that are just six inches and can get into it. Six months later, I'm 69 feet underground. God said, because the work I've called you to is going to take that. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Traveling buddy, that's, that's our nickname for Pastor Ray now. Just call her that from now on. Don't call her Pastor Ray, just say, traveling buddy, because that's, anyhow, you'd have to be in Portland to, to understand all that. But the fourth thing, he displays his splendor in you, through you, through your gift, through your ministry, through your conversations, through your prayers, through your listening ear. It just bleeds through you. Amen? Look at Paul's description of his spiritual son Timothy to the church at Philippi. He says this in Philippians 2, 21 to 22. It says, for all seek their own. For all seek their own timing. For all seek their own way out of that buried ground. Not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character. That as a son with his father, he served me in the gospel. He has proven character. How many know that something to be proven takes what? Time. Hmm. We don't like time. Can I say this morning, time is not your enemy. Time's your friend. Time's your friend. So what in the world is character? Thank you for asking. I'm going to just give a definition. I'm coming to a landing here very soon. The Greek word is karazo, and it literally means to... To, uh, to make a notch or to stamp or to identify something on a stone or metal. Character, then, is the distinctive mark impressed upon an individual from either external or internal forces. 
That's why I like our tagline, make your mark, leave a legacy. Webster's Dictionary literally says moral excellence or firmness. One of the things I find interesting about the Bible is, is its uniqueness and how not only does it tell the stories, but how it puts things together and how it emphasizes certain things that we in our natural cultural ethos would never, would never emphasize. When you look at the qualifications for biblical leadership in the Bible, in 1 Timothy and in Titus, not once does it mention sharpen your gift. Every issue and every topic that's brought up in that section is about your heart. It's about character. It's about fruit. It doesn't even say you need a seminary degree from Bible college. It just says character. Character. Why is it that God wants you to have that character? Why? Because your ministry that will be done for Christ with character will be a ministry of integrity. How many love integrity? How many get turned off when you see people that don't have it? Right? The Greek word for integrity is aphthoria, and it literally means the quality of moral soundness and being uncorrupt by the world. Being uncorrupt. In other words, would be to be incorruptible. Integrity, listen to this, is being unaffected by sin by firmly adhering to the truth of God's word. It's being consistent in actions, values, methods, principles, intentions, convictions, which in turns build relationships of trust. It is the quality of having a sense of honesty and truthfulness in regard to motivations of one, one's actions. I love Psalm 86, verse 11. It says this, Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. It's interesting here. It doesn't say, Teach me your way, Lord, so that I can learn how to be as powerful as you. As gifted as you. It says, that I may rely on your faithfulness. What does faithfulness speak to? Integrity, character, stewardship, moral excellence and firmness. Integrity is the very core of your character. It affects, or it should affect, your personal life, your spiritual life, your financial life, your relational life, your moral life, your employment life, everything about your life. It should be the bedrock of your life. People who are focused on character intentionally live a life of integrity. How many of you ever grew up in a situation where integrity or character was formed based upon a, a list of rules that you had to follow? Okay? Uh, most of us would say that we had that to some degree. Okay? Most of our parents or most of their parents or most of the connections, even in school and education, would say that we had these lists of rules. Now, how many know that rules and lists are not bad? But they shouldn't be the motivation for why we do something. I'm thankful for rules and for, and for uh, all of those things. Why? Because it gives us context. It, it helps us to understand why something's wrong and why something is right. But at the end of the day, God's heart is not to form character in you based upon uh, obedience to a set of laws. He wants to form character in your heart based upon a love relationship with Jesus Christ that is transforming your heart, transforming your thinking so that what you do becomes the overflow of your relationship with him. Amen? Amen. So, he didn't leave us alone. He gave us one of the most powerful things ever. It's called the Holy Spirit. How many have ever seen The Wizard of Oz? Okay, the rest of you are lying. How many have ever seen The Wizard of Oz? Okay, there we go. How many remember the flying monkeys? Right? How many were scared? Got it. Okay, how many had, you know, uh, uh, this, this 
this sense when you were growing up that you were either the lion or the, the tin man or the scarecrow, right? You fit into their personality really well. Um, I didn't necessarily fit the line really well, but man, do I ever love when he runs and takes off through the window. That's like my classic scene from that movie. But I want to, if I can, fast forward to this one part of the movie where Dorothy and Scarecrow meet Tin Man for the first time. Remember the scene? So he's in this dark forest, and he's standing off the side of the pathway, standing off the side of the yellow brick road. And the first time they see him, he is standing as still as anything, holding his axe. He couldn't move. And then at one moment, he tries to say something, but he can't get anything out. It's like, oh, me, you know, one of those. And they come over, and what did they get to help him? Oil. Some of us, with, with the process of God, we're like the tin man that can just kind of go all over the place, but we're just so stubborn and proud that we're not going to move. Even though we know that this place is the wrong thing and this attitude is the wrong thing, we just keep going all over the place, but we're not going anywhere. You need the oil of the Holy Spirit to put it upon every single one of part of your life so that you can start to move freely and be everything that God's called you to be. If you don't reach out to the Holy Spirit... And say, come into my life. Yeah, 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 I know that area over there. Yeah, I know it's painful. Oh, I know that's painful. Oh, wow. I haven't used that in years. Remember the look on Tin Man's face when he could finally move? He's like, wow, I haven't done this in so many years. Who's the one at the end who protected Dorothy? Who's the one that took out the enemy? Because he submitted to a process with the Holy Spirit and said, I'm I'm, I'm game. Why do we as a church place character above gifting? Because at the end of the day, character is the only thing that lasts. Gifting comes and goes. For some people, they get their 15 minutes of fame and it's over with. I often say when we're parenting our kids, I say, we don't parent our kids to be loved. We parent our kids to be liked. We know we're supposed to love everyone, but we don't like everyone. I want to parent my kids so that they're liked. So that when people meet them, they say, my goodness, you've got good kids. Those are kids of character and integrity. They're truthful. They're honest. They have their moments. But I can honestly say it's a blessing to see what they're doing. It's the same heart we would have for our natural kids. Nothing would change. But at some point, we have to make a decision to say, okay, God, I'm going to get called. Then I'm going to get hidden. Then I'm going to get refined. Then you are going to display your glory in and through me. Do you believe that this morning? Amen. Let's stand together. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com. 